uh, these, uh, just these next few Sundays through January, in fact, we've already started. We're looking at some of the great prayers in the Scriptures. Danny uh, talked so well last week from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew uh, 6, our Father who's in heaven. Um, today, uh, turn with me, please, to 2 Kings 19. We're going to look at Hezekiah's prayer. Um, Joshua, Judges, um, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. It's there in the Old Testament. Um, you'll find it somewhere. Um, you also find this story in 2 Chronicles. Uh, and actually the prophet Isaiah uh, shares some of this uh, story as well, Isaiah 36. Um, let me just read the Hezekiah's prayer completely out of context for you. Uh, and then... Um, We'll give some, some background. In fact, uh, it's probably going to come on the screen, I think. There it is. I think this is in the English Standard Version. So I'll, rather than read my NIV that I've got open here, I'll read it here with you so I don't confuse anyone. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, our God alone. Wow. So um, that, it's a great prayer to pray. Let me just give you some background there. Israel, uh, the people of God, have been split into two kingdoms. Um, when, you, when you read from the first King David and then his son Solomon, from there on in, there's a pretty destructive cycle of, of the occasional good king and then following some pretty terrible and evil kings. Pretty quickly, there's civil war and the two kingdoms split uh, into two. And you can read in, in 1 Kings and Two kings at the start of each king's reign. There's a, generally speaking, a really sad summary section that says something like, Oh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Very occasionally you read of a king, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just like his father David had done. It's real Game of Thrones stuff, and generally speaking, it's deeply, deeply sad and destructive. Uh, and God's people are, at this time, uh, they are squashed between the world's emerging superpowers. Uh, when Hezekiah prayed this prayer, it was about 730 BC, if you can imagine that, before uh, Jesus. Um, Assyria are the ascendant uh, superpower. Egypt have been, uh, but they're diminishing now, although they still play their part. Soon Babylon will emerge, and King Nebuchadnezzar, if you've heard of him, and, and they just roll over everything. Uh, and then just when you think the greatest empire on the planet have emerged, the Greeks come and then the Romans come and, uh, and, and maybe from there you know the story. Um, the northern kingdom of Israel, it's all, they've already gone into exile. They've been so utterly sinful uh, that they've been taken into exile by um, uh, Assyria as a puppet king on the throne. But because uh, in Hezekiah's early reign, uh, they're taken away. God gives them over 
to their sin. It's, it's frightening language, just like in Romans chapter 1, um, where we, we find that in the end, God allows the consequences of our sinful choices to play out. And that's what happens with the northern kingdom. Now we find in this context of Hezekiah, this tiny southern kingdom of Judah, um, the city of Jerusalem, really standing alone uh, against this superpower, surrounded by these overwhelming powers who think differently, live differently. It's just one small light of God's people remaining. Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, who was the king before him, he's been utterly, utterly bankrupt, evil. He lives like the pagans around him. It says he even sacrificed his own children in the, in the fire, just following pagan practices, a complete anathema to, uh, to how God's people are supposed to, to live. He's, he's given up in the face of Assyrian pressure when they came sniffing around Jerusalem. Instead of trusting God as he should have done as God's king on the throne, he entered into a treaty with Assyria. He he pays tribute to them, pays uh, big taxes, if you like, out from the, uses even some of the gold from the temple. Uh, and then because his heart is, is destructive, he even takes uh, a, a, a replica of the Assyrian forms of worship and has it reproduced in um, the temple of the Lord where he can offer sacrifices. It, it's completely, completely evil. Um, here's a king who doesn't know God. He thinks maybe he knows better. Perhaps he's got some um, e external sense of, of, of the religion, uh, of true religion, but he's utterly compromised his worship. He's mixed in what he sees in other cultures and ideas. He's, he's, he's brought out a worship of his own making. Uh, it's how it always starts. First, our hearts get dulled. Then we begin to become deluded in our minds and we end up completely following the spirit of the age. That's what uh, Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, did. Even more remarkable then, when you uh, a chapter back from our prayer in 2 Kings 18, Hezekiah comes to the throne, age 25. So he's a young man. He's not led the nation before. And remarkably, he's the opposite of his father. Um, I don't know how this is. Uh, it's just the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God uh, in keeping his promises. Maybe there's a mention of Hezekiah's mother. Maybe she prayed for him and fought for him. Certainly there are good prophets around in this day. Isaiah, uh, Micah, they're speaking into Hezekiah's life and into his generation. Um, when you read in, in Jeremiah and 2 Chronicles, you, you, you find um, that the prophets are helping the people at that time turn back to God. There's a kind of revival. They re restore worship. They clean out the, the temple. Um, and, and so they're speaking into Hezekiah's life. I've just been thinking at the start of this year, I wonder who, who speaks into my life the loudest? Is it the word of God or is it the culture around me? I wonder how you would answer that, that question. And in chapter 18, we get a picture of what it looks like for a king to serve the Lord in his generation. What does it look like for him to serve the Lord? There's another slide, I think, with some, some kings on. There we are. I don't know if you can see those kings very well. They were kings in our nativity. You may recognize some of those kingly faces. What does it look like for Hezekiah to serve the Lord in his generation? Uh, chapter 18 gives us some Insight. Verse 3, it says he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Okay, I don't care what anyone else sees. I care about what God sees. He sees into my heart. He, you only see on the outside. This generation only sees the outside. God sees my heart. I'm going to please him. He makes a choice to live for God's approval. Not, um, not just working out his own leadership or being led by the nose, by the spirit of this age or culture. 
What does that look like? Uh, verse 4 of chapter 18, he broke up all the pagan idols. He cleared out the temple. He had no toleration of them in his life or amongst his people. In fact, he even destroyed some things that have been good and have been wonderful um, signs of provision from God, but have become corrupted by God's wicked people. It speaks about in chapter 18 of a bronze snake that Moses had lifted up in the desert so that if the people who were dying from a plague would only look at this snake that Moses held up they would be healed and they were John chapter 3 speaks about that he says just as um, Moses held up a snake in the desert so the son of man will be lifted up that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life that's what John 3 goes on to tell us this this bronze snake was in the temple uh, 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 in Hezekiah's day this bronze snake that we know points us to Jesus Christ who was lifted up on the cross for our healing and for our lives but in Hezekiah's day it's become a pagan snake idol um, so Hezekiah says hey it was precious once but but it's been corrupted so it's scrap metal now throw it out it's amazing he has no compromise at all no mix um, no sinful ideas from culture that slip in and pollute the worship of God for God's people Again, as we come with very sober minds at the start of a period of prayer and fasting, I'm asking myself and asking you today, how serious am I at the start of this time, the start of this year, to offer God true and unpolluted, uncompromised worship? For me, that's where some time of fasting can be helpful. It, it kind of uh, shakes off the things that have settled on my life, things I didn't even know were idols in my life, areas where I didn't even know there were compromise. Fasting for me exposes that. And brings me back to the, the heart of true worship again. I wonder how it will be for you in these next few days. Verse, 18 and, uh, verse 5 of chapter 18. Uh, again, how, how did this king serve the Lord in his generation? He, it says, he trusted in the Lord. It's really simple, isn't it? Oh, I'm just going to trust in God. And there's evidence of what trusting in God looks like. It works out in our lives, doesn't it? It's not just an internal thing. It says, he remained, verse 6, he remained faithful in everything and carefully obeyed the laws of Moses. It's one thing to say, I trust God. It's another then to walk in obedience, particularly to walk in obedience in the face of a culture that is living in complete disobedience. Uh, uh, and that, that's, uh, again, it's very pragmatic. Um, he, it says that that time he stopped paying the tribute to Assyria that his father had paid. He's saying, hey, I don't need to pay off the Assyrian mafia for protection. I'm walking in obedience with God. He's made promises to protect and provide for his people. So I'm going to stop paying this bankrupt nation. and I'm going to trust God instead. There's a very practical outworking of what it means to trust in God. So we're talking here about a king, age 25, a young man, some young men and young women here, and some of us who are a bit older than are still having to, to learn this, that are, are recognizing there are some internal heart decisions before God that we make that have a huge impact then on how we live, our decision-making, our actions, our leadership, what we do with our money, how we live our lives, how we walk in obedience. Is this scripture speaking to anyone else today or is it, is it just challenging me so far? Let, just give me a little wave if, if the Holy Spirit, yeah, okay, well done, that's good. Um, how are we going to live our lives at the start of this year? In this culture where we, we find ourselves surrounded by all the, all the proud superpowers of our culture and sinful Western culture, it's very easy to say, well, hey, everyone else compromises. What difference does it really make? Let's just fit in. Um, we could just pay tribute to the world. We could just go with the flow. No, true worshippers don't compromise. 
They trust in the Lord. They obey his commands that we find in the word of God. We tear down idols. Um, we find a heart obedience that plays out in our lives and our futures as God is present with us. Beloved, the internal heart decisions you make in these next few days and weeks will have a big impact in your life. And just before we move to his prayer, verse 5 of chapter 18 says, there's been no king like Hezekiah before or after him. What? Wait a minute. If, if you were a Jew reading this, you'd say, well, no, King David, King Solomon, they're our, our great kings. They're our greatest kings. We all look back to, and we, we long for a time where David's throne is restored. But it says, no, King Hezekiah is the greatest of the kings. Wow, I wonder because he, of how he lived in this culture. I believe this King Hezekiah, um, as do all of the scriptures in the Old Testament, point us to Jesus. We find now in our era and, and from when Jesus came to planet Earth, uh, the conditions are just the same. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all come under the right judgment of God. He's given all of us over to the consequences of our sin and rebellion. But there's a true king who has come. There's a, a true David, the one that Hezekiah's life points us to. Hezekiah was obedient to the word of God. Uh, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was obedient in every way to his father's will. Jesus was faithful in every way in his worship of his father. Jesus in his words, in his life, in his trust of God, in God's plan, utterly obedient and faithful. Jesus said no to sin and temptation. He, he was tempted just like us in every way, the scriptures say. And yet where we've been unable to say no and we've fallen into sin uh, from temptation, Jesus resisted and said no and lived to please his father. He's done it. The scriptures say Jesus became obedient even to death on a cross for us for our sin. And so this Hezekiah story in some way points us to Jesus. He wasn't a perfect king, but he anticipates the king that we've all been waiting for, Jesus Christ. The blessing we're all invited to in him that will liberate us one day from our sin. Hallelujah. Wow. And so later, uh, before I get carried away uh, in that, in, in, as you go on through chapter 18, you can read this in your own time, um, as they always say when you're trying to cut a long story short. Uh, but it's such a good story. Um, Later in chapter 18, the scene changes. The Assyrians are angry. They come back. If Judah aren't going to pay their tribute, then we're going to come and crush them. It will take it from them by force. And we get this incredible um, uh, surrounding of Jerusalem. There we are. There's an Assyrian, and he's sending a message to, uh, to the people of Judah that are behind the walls. It's a siege negotiation. Um, and uh, actually, it's a master plan in deception and real psychological warfare. All the power is in the hands of the Assyrians. Actually, that was Stu, our Roman soldier. But we've got great costumes now. We can reenact any scene from the Bible now with these costumes, I, th I think. Maybe they're not perfectly accurate to each time, but uh, I think we could probably, uh, we could probably blag it. Um, who knows what an Assyrian looked like anyway without going to the British Museum. Um, and so they come. They surround God's people. They make sure they declare loudly um, in, in the Aramaic language that God's people can understand. They want everyone to hear um, that uh, you're going to be crushed. You, you can't get an alliance with Egypt now. They won't help you. Your God won't help you now, they say. They say, we've overcome all the gods of all the people we've conquered. Um, before too long, if you try and withstand us, they tell the people of God, you'll be eating your own dung. You'll be drinking your own urine. Uh, it's just a terrifying moment of siege. And then they say, but of course, you can make your peace with us. And if you do that, you can eat the crops you've 
planted. You can drink the fresh water from your own water systems. Hey, one day, of course, yeah, maybe you'll accompany us to our capital city, but there you'll have this life of abundance and plenty. Um, it's such a strong temptation, isn't it? Particularly when you're surrounded by the enemy. There's no way out. It seems so reasonable. But actually, it's a, it's a psychological and spiritual attack. Remember, their ancestors, as they're hiding behind their walls in Jerusalem, they trusted God's promises to lead them into this land. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance where they can trust him, where he'll provide for them, where he'll keep them safe. And now Satan's saying through the Assyrians, you can't trust God anymore to secure you and to provide for your future. He offers them a counterfeit promised land. Come away to Assyria with us um, and, uh, and, and there you'll be fulfilled. No, God's promise was he would be fulfilled with them. They say, come live with us. Come share our abundance. Come ally with us. It's so easy and obvious. No, you'll be enslaved to their culture. You'll lose your identity. You'll lose your inheritance in God. Every temptation that Satan brings to our lives is based on a lie. It is utterly counterfeit. He has always, from the beginning, taken the word and the promise of God and distorted it. From the very beginning, over your life, over Adam and Eve in the garden, did God really say, I'm going to offer you a better way, a shortcut to the promise of God. If only you'll stop trusting God and offer yourself to me. Beloved, it's a lie. It's a deceit. It's a mirage. It will disappear the moment that you open up your hands and your heart to it. I love Hezekiah's response and we're getting to chapter 19 now. He prays with his leaders. It's a prayer of real humility. At the start of chapter 19 they tear their clothes, they put on sackcloth, they go into the temple. They're saying, God, we are ruined without you. We're naked. We've got no power or strategy in ourselves to resolve this and so we're completely humbling ourselves before you. I'm challenged by that. I don't know when the last time was you prayed with that kind of abandonment. At that time, Isaiah, the prophet, says in 19 and verse 6, sends a word of encouragement. He says, stand firm. Don't be afraid about the words you've heard. Well, I was very afraid. The prophet says, don't be afraid. I'm in charge, says the Lord. This, this man, this Assyrian king, Sennacherib, he thinks he's God. He speaks like he's God. He will be brought down, says the prophet. It's like Psalm 2 where it says, uh, the Lord laughs as the nations rage and conspire against God's anointed and God's people. This is wonderful. In the face of a strong, demonic and physical threat against God's people, their very existence is under threat and God speaks. And he says, don't be afraid. Wow, how good to know. Even when we can't, you, you, you don't know the end from the beginning of the season of life you're in at the moment. You don't know all the backstage, back scene stuff that's going on in heaven right now. But we do know this. God speaks reassurance into your heart and mind. He says, hold on when you're afraid. That's enough. Uh, I don't give in. I don't back down. God said, don't be afraid. And something's getting kindled again in my spirit. Even that, I think, is an attitude of prayer sometimes. I don't, I don't even know what to pray or how to pray. I don't even know if I've got the words to communicate what's going on in my heart under this pressure right now. But it's a kind of prayer just to say, God, I'm believing you and I'm holding on to you. When my circumstances are screaming out to give up, I'm just going to say I'm going to trust you, God. Wow. The pressure increases. There are even more unveiled threats. There's an open dismissal of God's plan. Verses 8 
to 13, they just go at them again. Do you think you're the only ones who've said that we can survive because of our gods? No, we've, we've steamrolled over every single god. You're just another little tribe. We're going to eat you for breakfast. Uh, it's just completely threatening. Your god is deceiving you if you think he can stop us now. Again, what a spiritual battle it is to believe in that moment. We're God's people. Can we trust his promises? Can we hold on to his, his authority? We're surrounded by a noisy enemy uh, and the enemy's fruits and threats are very real. We can see them and hear them. Uh, and yet we're fighting to believe a God whose promises we don't yet see. We don't yet see him present and evidence. Um, but we're going to continue to trust him in the face of it. That, that's real faith, brothers and sisters. That's what God's calling us to in this generation. We may not be in Judah besieged by Assyrians, but we face this spirit this angry, aggressive, God-mocking spirit every day of our lives as believers that live and work and serve God around cruelly. And so we come to this prayer of Hezekiah that I read right at the start, um, verses 14 to 19, with this context in mind. You may be saying, why have you taken so long on the context this morning? And let me give you an answer to that. It's because we live in this context, as I've said. You're not in a vacuum. Why have we taken so long on this story? Because we're in this story. There are men here today who feel overwhelmed and under threat. There are women here today who don't know where to turn. Uh, there are kids and adults and students who are saying, Lord, I don't know what to do. There are some of you who are up in the night saying, God, if this doesn't break soon, I don't know how much longer I can hold on for. We, we have a context and our context um, may be different, but, our, but the, the, the aggressive spirit against us is the same. The same question is true for us as it was for Hezekiah. Will I believe God? Will I trust in him? Will I stand in his authority? Will we trust his promises and not give in to the counterfeit? We're in the same story. We're fighting the same spiritual forces, the same spirit of the age, and we're fighting our own internal battles, my own heart, my own trust and confidence uh, in, in God. My prayer for us in these next three weeks of prayer and fasting is that we get our eyes opened again a little bit. Don't be asleep, church. We're under siege. This evil age wants us to mix and compromise and carry us away into exile and make us ineffective. It will continue to speak beguiling words of deception over us. It will continue to operate as it did in Hezekiah's day with a master class of psychological warfare. It is a scheme of Satan to steal God's uh, people's inheritance and their future. We are not neutral. We are under siege. We are in a war that we need to fight. That is why we wake up and we come to pray with a militancy in our hearts in these days. Let me give you some quick lessons and then we'll, we'll respond in, in worship together with the guys who led us so well this morning. And even a song about freckles. Six quick lessons, and they will be quick, I promise you, from Hezekiah um, that can help us as we pray. Want to learn how to pray? We can learn together here from Hezekiah. Verse 14. He went back to the house of the Lord. He went to the temple. He ran to the presence of God. I don't know about you, but for me often I can run everywhere else first when I'm under pressure. I run to worry. I run to anxiety. I can run to friends. I can run to the internet. Don't, look, don't go there. Don't go looking for other solutions. Sometimes we self-medicate. I think I'm just going to shut myself away and watch Netflix for three days. Um, sometimes we just want to run away altogether. I even shut myself away from church and God's people. Well, Hezekiah, he got away from the noise. 
He got away from the panic. And man, there must have been noise and panic in his city under siege. All the different reports he would have been hearing and all the different solutions. He said, I'm going to bring it to Jesus. We bring it to Jesus these next three weeks. Yeah, whether we get here to church, whether you're alone in your room first thing in the morning, whether you're going for a walk, whether like Shemisa, you're at your desk just sensing the presence of God, we switch the noise off. Do you know, he's so ready to welcome us into his house as we come to him, to hear us as we lay our requests before him. Second lesson, uh, verse 14 of chapter 19, Hezekiah spread it out before the Lord. He had this, the siege terms and conditions from the Assyrians. They gave him a scroll with the, the, like the contract terms and conditions, the small print written down. He rolled it out in front of the Lord in, the, in, in God's presence. Here it is, God, in all its terrifying glory. Again, in our prayers, so often we don't go beyond the, the headlines or the, oh, God, help me, help me, help me. And we pray in that way. And, oh, please, beloved God, hears those prayers. But this is a time for us to be deliberate, to really open our hearts before him. To, to give the detail to God. God, this situation is breaking me. It's threatening. These are the conditions. This is the impact it's having on my life, my health, my family, my kids, my friends. This is, this is how we're feeling as a church. We've got no way out, so we spread it out before you, Lord. Yeah, God already sees. God already knows. Even before a word comes out from your mouth. But how he loves for us to open our hearts and to really share, to leave nothing outside uh, uh, as we come to him with, with humility. Spread it out before the Lord. Lesson number three, uh, briefly. Oh, he worships. Verse 15 of chapter 19. He's he's got, I think when Hezekiah goes into the temple, he's got one prayer. Oh God, rescue us. (laughs) But, But... he has a worship time first. Imagine if we were surrounded here uh, and uh, you look at me and say, Steve, what are we going to do? I say, oh, I'm just going to welcome the musicians. Just going to take some time. Well, they're coming in the doors. <laughs> they're going to kill us. Oh, let's just worship. The Lord. Oh, he gets his priority absolutely right. Um, the most powerful king on planet Earth right now is surrounding Judah in Hezekiah's moment. He's about to crush them. So he says, oh, yeah. So I'm going to lift my head to the king above all kings. I'm going to turn my gaze to God. I'm going to remind myself that he's the king of kings. He's got greater authority. The words he says there in verse 15, God of Israel, God on the throne in heaven above the angels, God over every kingdom on earth, even Assyria. God, you even made and created the heavens and the earth. This man, his armies, as I begin to magnify God, he becomes a speck uh, compared to you. You alone are God. Do you see what worship does when we lift up Jesus together? Maybe you look outside and say, wow, Actually, my circumstances haven't changed, but the way I see them, having looked on Jesus for a time, oh wow, everything's changed in my heart. Suddenly God's present. His authority is stirring in me. Hope is rising. My head is lifting. God's going to move. And you know what, God? Even if you don't move and I die here, you're going to be glorified through my worship of you. That's what happens when we worship Jesus. And that's the exchange that's going on here with Hezekiah. Church, maybe we learn that lesson in these next few weeks. Briefly, lesson number four, uh, he begins to see the problem again in the light of God's authority. He says, I'm reminded now, I've come to the true king. I can see the Assyrians have advanced. Yeah, I acknowledge they've overcome every other nation. They've overcome all these nations that have cried out to their gods. But I know now, these were gods made by human hands. They're not the true God. You are the true God. And so we will not be destroyed as they're destroyed. He begins to get that godly perspective in the light of God's authority. Leonard Ravenhill wrote once, a man who's intimate with God will never be intimidated by man. I love that. I often pray that over my life. A man who's intimate with God, 
I want to see things through your perspective, Lord. I want to get your authority. I'll never be intimidated by any spirit of the age or by any forceful man then. And then uh, penultimately five, uh, there's a boldness in his asking. Look at him in, in verse 16. Incline your ear. Hear us, O God. Don't be deaf or silent. That's a really strong way to speak to God, isn't it? There's a boldness. There's a confidence in approaching God in this way. He would know. He's read the old scriptures and the old stories. This is the God who looked down on Israel in their slavery in Egypt. And he said, I've heard your cry. I know your sorrow. I've come to deliver you. And so he feels, I can cry out to God in the same way. Do it again, Lord, in our time. We're your people. We're your inheritance. And we call on you boldly to hear us again in this moment of battle. That's our prayer, church. That's our spirit as we come before God for these 22 days of breakthrough, for a year of breakthrough in your life and mine and our lives together. And then number six, finally, they come, he comes to a place of conviction. I love that. You know when you've prayed your way through prayer, where you come out of your prayer closet. There's an old-fashioned church expression. When you come out of your prayer time and you feel, I've got a conviction in my heart. Wow. Uh, again, there's something, a, a measure of spiritual authority uh, in prayer and hope that's released. Nathan Hannah, can you come and get ready to help us? Um, verse 19 he says now he gets to the heart of the prayer now or what I thought should have been his priority now O Lord save us now O Lord our God save us there he is he's, he's convinced God I'm crying it out and I know you're going to do it but don't miss what follows there's a so that which follows in verse 19 save us so that it's good to be rescued we've, we've come to this place of worship though and so our greater prayer is that God is glorified among the nations of the earth. Save us so that you're known as the God who overcame the Assyrians. Every other nation has fallen under their threats. But, but we're going to be known as God's people and the God who overcame them. He's got God's glory in mind. He's got a greater purpose now than just surviving. He says, now I, I want to live to please you. I want you to be glorified. So often we stop short in our praying and our circumstances. And we miss the opportunity to pray this bigger kingdom vision that Jesus may be known throughout our story, that he may be glorified, that the nations of the earth may see his light and stream to him. That, that, that line that we often say in the prayer Danny led us through last week, we say it every day sometimes, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Let's not stop short and miss that. Perfect timing, lovely. Wow, Jesus, we love you. You can read on for yourself in your own time. Isaiah prophesies again. He says the Assyrian king will not set foot in this city. So Hezekiah and the people hold firm. God goes into battle on their behalf. It's just an amazing night where he completely um, overwhelms the enemy, kills multitudes of them. The rest of the army retreats. The king of Assyria goes back to his capital city. He's in his temple where he feels safe. And God strikes him down. The threat is over. God's promises are vindicated. Oh, hallelujah. Friends, in these coming days, let me remind you, there is nothing, there is no prayer the Lord does not hear. There's nothing that he does not see. There's nothing that the Lord cannot do. There is no place that he cannot reach into. There is no battle that he cannot fight. There is no authority in heaven or on earth or demonic power that he cannot destroy. He hears us as we come into his prayer. We're in this story. But Jesus, we invite your authority into us in these next days. Why don't we stand together?
Lord, we want these six lessons in our lives. We want to be a people that come into your presence. We want to be those that spread out before you our heart and our story. We want to worship the true King above all kings on his throne. We want to see our problems and our struggles, great though they are in the light of your greater authority. We want to call out to you with boldness. And we want to come out of this time with a conviction in our spirits that we will stand and trust you until our circumstances change and until you are most glorified in our lives. And so we worship you, Jesus, at the start of this time together. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord together. If you want to pray with those around you and pray, if there's something very personal that you know, I just want to get on my knees before God these next few minutes and pray. Take a moment to do that now. And we'll pray together with Natalie on Zoom tonight and go through this prayer and some prayer and application tomorrow at 6.30. Let's worship Jesus.